Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Last week in his message, Dale had this brick on stage with him, and he used this brick as an amazing illustration. He talked about how a brick that stands alone by itself doesn't really hold much value, doesn't really have much beauty, or it's not really that practical. A brick that stands alone does not fulfill its purpose. That's a great illustration because as followers of Jesus, we are designed with a purpose, and that purpose was not to stand alone. It was to be connected to something we call the church. But like we talked about last week, this term, the church, it's, it's... kind of lost its meaning over the years. When people think of church, they think of a meeting place. Well, it's not. The correct interpretation of the church is this Greek word called ekklesia. Ekklesia means a called out group of people sent on mission to fulfill a purpose. So when Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church, he's saying, upon this rock, I will build my ekklesia, called out group of people sent on mission. That is the kind of church we want to be. Not a meeting place, but a called out group of people set on mission to fulfill a purpose. We want to be a 542 church. That is our vision for the year. That's the vision we have set for us in 2023 to be a 542 church. It's taken after Acts chapter 5 verse 42 where we can see three areas we we need to focus on. Because this gives us a picture of the early church. Day after day in the temple courts large group gatherings, and from house to house, small group gatherings. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, evangelism. Large group gatherings, small group gatherings, and evangelism. That's our focus. Last week, Dale spoke on the importance of large group gatherings or the importance of ecclesia. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of small group gatherings. Now, don't get me wrong. When I say small group gatherings, I'm not talking about getting together with a few people and just doing a Bible study. I'm not talking about a Sunday school. The correct interpretation here is actually to do life together, to share life together, to be connected to one another, almost like we can get this image of a circle being connected in every area of life day after day. That, that is the correct interpretation here. Because just like a brick that can fulfill its purpose by being layered with other bricks, eventually it can build a beautiful wall. But that wall cannot exist unless you have multiple bricks coming together, being connected to one another. And the strongest wall you will find is one that is connected all the way around in every way. Every time I stand on this stage, whether I'm teaching, playing music, doing something, I look out and observe. And one of the first things that you can observe is that you are all sitting in rows. Now, I think preachers like rows. Rows keeps us organized. And that's one thing that you could observe too. Anybody who walks in every week, we are sitting in rows facing the same direction. We will sing some songs together. We'll worship. Someone will stand on this stage and give some thoughts and some words for about 30 minutes or for being honest, like 35 minutes. But that's what we do every week. But as we observe the early church and how they did things, what we can find is that they actually spent little time in spaces like this. 
sitting in rows staring at the back of each other's heads, listening to someone lecture. The picture we see of the early church is actually a little less of rows and more of circles. Rows are great. I love what we do here on Sunday mornings. But I think when we read scripture, we will discover rows are great, but circles are even better. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you can turn there in your Bibles, or if not, the scripture will be on the screen. But as we turn there, I kind of want to lay some context as to what is going on here in Acts chapter 2. Because during this time, Jesus has already been crucified. He's been buried. He rose again. He has ascended into heaven. And now God starts something new. Acts chapter 2 actually signifies this major shift. Because up until now, God had been working through the nation of Israel, but now he's going to start working through something called the church, his ecclesia, his called out group of people sent on mission. And so he had been working through the Jews, now he's going to work through nations. In chapter 1 of Acts, we can see the disciples, they are waiting for the Holy Spirit, but in chapter 2, he comes. In chapter 1, they are equipped, but in chapter 2, they are empowered. In chapter 1, they are held back, but in chapter 2, they are sent forth. In chapter 1, Jesus ascends, and in chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends. So we're going to pick up our text here in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now the 41 verses prior to this speaks of, it gives a description of the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Peter, formerly known as Simon, he preaches a powerful message. 3,000 people get saved and are baptized. But let's look at verse 46. Verse 46 says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Now, the early church, they, they were in rows. They liked meeting in rows. We can see here at the beginning of verse 46, they love meeting in rows. We love meeting in rows. I love what we do here on Sundays, and I hope you do too. But the second half of this verse tells us something really significant, that they broke bread together daily and ate in each other's homes. They did this daily. This was not just an event. They attended one hour once a week. They lived life together, not just in rows, but in circles as well. So today, I want to give us four things. Living life together in circles helps us accomplish four things. Number one, the spiritual. The spiritual. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, this word devote here, It's not a one-time verb. Often when we think of words like devotion or vow, we think of a a one-time statement, a one-time action, a one-time thing that we do. But the correct term for devotion here means continued steadfastly 
or constantly and continually give unremitting care to something. So they pursued Christ daily, but their pursuit was not solitary. Their pursuit for God was not an individual activity. They did this together. They shared life together. They learned from the apostles together. They applied the apostles' teachings together. They prayed together. They ate together. They celebrated together. They did life together as one body. That is what Christ designed us to be, together as one body, not separate things, not saying, hey, you go do your thing with God, I'll go do my thing with God. No, it's a togetherness that he has designed for us to function as his body. Paul speaks a lot of this in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. He says, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, and each part as each part does its work. That is the design for us, to live together, to do life together. Now, in our text, it says that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. It uses that word fellowship there. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church or not, but maybe if you did, growing up in church, your church had something in it called a fellowship hall. Did anybody else have a fellowship hall growing up in their church? Okay, yeah. If you don't know what that is, that's pretty much Christian code for where the food's at. Some of y'all are like, oh, I'm well acquainted with the fellowship hall. <laughs> but this word fellowship here, it is so much more enigmatic. It is way, way richer than just saying, oh, that's just where, where the food's at. It's so much more than just saying, that's where we meet together for meals, or that's where we do church luncheons or potlucks. Of course, growing up, we called them pot blessings because luck's not a Christian virtue. Half of you laughed, thank you. Had high hopes for that joke. Do with that as you will. <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make here is that fellowship is so much more than we recognize it today. Today, it's kind of lost its context to what they were meaning it to be here in the scripture. Fellowship in scripture, this term fellowship is actually this Greek word koinonia, which means to do life together to do life together, to share life together. 12th century English monk um, Arnold, he refers to this as spiritual friendship. I like that term, spiritual friendship. What we're doing here today, th this is fellowship. It is. When we meet together like this, when, when we have a Bible study or we meet together for coffee or a meal, that is fellowship. But can we be honest? Most of those things are planned, aren't they? They're planned. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but when we say things like, oh, hey, stop on by any time, what do we really mean by that? Hey, call me first. Call me first. We will set up a time, a date. I'll add it to my Google calendars, and I'll just assume you're not coming until you accept that invite. But fellowship here is so much more than that. that is, that's what it's become today, but Fellowship here in this context means to do life together, to invite someone into your life, even when your life doesn't seem that put together. Koinonia is when you are sick and your spiritual friend comes over to help you through it. It's when you have a death in the family and your friend helps you grieve. 
It's when you're struggling with an addiction and they help hold you accountable. It's meeting together early in the morning for breakfast, confessing to one another, praying over one another. It's being with each other on the good days and on the bad days, day in and day out. Andy Stanley is a pastor. Andy Stanley, in one of his books, he says, your friends determine the quality and the direction of your life. That is so true. Think of the five closest people to you. You will get a snapshot of where your life is headed because your friends determine the quality and the direction of your life. Fellowship. It is so much more than just a hall and a building. It is more than strictly what we do here today, even though this is a part of it. It's seeing each other at your best and at your worst. But listen, when you begin to apply koinonia into your life, inviting people in, what you will soon discover is that coming together is only the beginning, but keeping together changes everything. There are four ways that doing life in together accomplishes. Number one, the spiritual. Number two, the physical, the physical needs. All of the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So by obeying the apostles' teachings, they actually were mimicking the the most generous man that ever lived. By applying the teachings of the apostles and pursuing to be like Christ, the first century church actually lived in such a way to where the needs of people were met. It, It wasn't just something that was forced. It was just a natural response to God's love and generosity towards them. We serve a generous and loving God, amen? Got two people. I feel like we need to say that again. We serve a generous and loving God, amen? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So our generosity should be a reflex in response to God's love and generosity towards us. I feel like I need to say that again. Our general, I'm going to. At least someone's honest. Hallelujah. All right. Jesus loves the little children too. (laughs) I'm being generous and loving in response to God's love yeah as a church we need to be generous our generosity should be a reflex in response to God's love and generosity towards us last summer last summer we had a uh, a service in here dedicated to testimonies it was beautiful we had testimonies from people from our church who went beyond the walls and served people of our church in our community, people who don't even attend here. And at the center of it all was love and generosity. One of the things that happened was there was someone, she was having trouble getting up the steps in her garage, so a church member goes over, and they build her a ramp so she can get up to her house. Another church member was struggling, uh, her daughter was struggling with some physical complications, so church members went over to her, to her house and built handrails for her daughter. We had church members going into people's houses, cleaning houses, painting. Uh, they, they, they were power washing houses, 
power washing decks, they were getting their hands dirty and flower beds pulling weeds. Because at the center of everything was love and generosity. And those relationships that were formed, they have continued on even today. That's what doing life in circles looks like. Life in circles doesn't only help us accomplish the needs of others. It allows our needs to be accomplished as well. Last fall, there was a few-week period where I was doing a lot of driving, and I was feeling the financial burden because, well, you know how gas prices are. And I, and I was stressed out. But like I do most of the time, I try to keep things bottled inside because no one needs to know that. But there was a church, God bless our church, there was a church member who came to me. I hadn't said a thing to anyone. But because I have allowed some people to establish koinonia with me, to be a part of each other's lives, there were some church members who were so, so much of a blessing. And one church member came to me and they handed me a card. And I didn't say a thing to them about what was going on, but they recognized something and they handed me a card that said, I know you've been driving a lot, hope this helps. It was a gas card. That's what doing life together looks like. As followers of Jesus, we are meant to do life together in the trenches because we are not meant to face the battles alone. And more often than not, the battles happen between Sundays. We do life together in circles because it is so easy to miss the needs of others sitting in rows, staring at the back of each other's heads one hour once a week. Please do not make the mistake of thinking that Sunday morning is all Jesus had in mind. We are better together because coming together is only the beginning, but keeping together changes everything. Number one, the spiritual. Number two, the physical. Number three, the emotional. The emotional needs. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all of the people. PBS did a study several years ago on the relationship between relational connectedness and happiness. And out of this study birthed a documentary titled The Emotional Life. I want to read to you a part of that documentary. This is good. Researchers have found that people are happier when they are with other people than when they are alone. And the boost is the same for introverts and extroverts. They also are finding that happy people are more pleasant, helpful, and sociable. So being around other people makes us feel happier, and when we are happier, we are more fun to be around, creating an upward spiral of happiness. I love that imagery, an upward spiral of happiness. Because I've also heard depression described as a downward spiral of discouragement. We are better together. If we haven't learned anything from the past few years, going through a pandemic, being separated from one another, 
we've learned anything, it's that we are meant to be together. We are better together. We are not meant to be separated. We are not meant to be isolated. Last month during a message, I, I talked about how um, the, the government did, done this study, and it shows that isolation has the same medical detriments as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's how bad it is for you. The same people did another study, and out of the, this batch of clinical, um, clinical cases of depression, over 66% of those cases showed immediate improvement when those people were around happy people. We're made for each other. We are better together. That's why Christ designed us to be together. He knew that we needed each other. And so listen, I want to say this as lovingly as possible. But if you are content with only attending an event one hour once a week, then don't feel surprised when you feel disconnected. If that's all you want to do, don't be surprised when you feel disconnected. Because we are better together because coming together is only the beginning, but keeping together changes everything. Life in Circles helps us accomplish four things. The spiritual, the physical needs, the emotional needs, and final, the missional. It's about the mission. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Koinonia, doing life together in circles, helps us to actually live on mission for Christ. The mission to make disciples. Small groups are not just for Bible study. It's not just to read the Bible. It's about the study and applying it, making disciples. It's about covering these four areas. The spiritual, the physical needs of others, the emotional needs, and the mission to make disciples. What's the point of studying together if we're not going to apply it together? Pro football teams, when they're on the field practicing during the week, they can spend an average of 3.5 or more hours a day on the field practicing together. That's not to even mention all of the training camps they go through. That's not to mention all of the hours spent in the weight room or on a treadmill. The hours they spend pouring over the playbook, memorizing the playbook, watching a film for the game. That might seem impressive, but it is all done in vain if they don't take it to the field and play the game. Don't let small groups be in vain. Small groups are not just about Bible study. It's about the mission. One of your strongest Did you know one of your strongest evangelism tools can be a small group? One of the strongest tools you have for evangelism evangelism can be to invite people in to koinonia, in to friendship, into your life, to be a part of a group. Because from there, it's no longer just you pouring into someone. You have multiple people pouring into someone. At the beginning of this year, I was in my office and I was uh, 
cleared out some storage on my computer, and I came across a file. And in that file was a bunch of the videos we've taken over the past year for baptisms. I have here, this is just a few of the screenshots from uh, uh, several of the baptisms. I don't know about you, but that's a beautiful picture. But as I look at this, I notice something. There's something these people have in common. Not just because they said yes to Jesus and baptism. What they have in common is these people were invited into a group, into doing life with people, into spiritual friendship, and that led to their decision. It wasn't just about attending an event one hour once a week. It was about what happened between the Sundays, the connections that were made. We're better together. We're meant for each other. That's what doing life in circles looks like. That can be the outcome. Our text tells us that numbers were added daily to those who were being saved. How did they know numbers were being added daily unless they were in some capacity meeting daily? I want us to think about something. Jesus and his disciples, the time they spent together, let's say, not including sleep time, let's say about an average, they spent 12 hours a day with each other. Whether they're traveling, learning Jesus' teaching, just having fun, whatever they're doing. An average of 12 hours a day with Jesus for three years. How many hours is that? I already did the math. It's a lot. (laughs) Over 13,000 hours spent with Jesus. And yet the disciples, even after all of that, there were still some gaps in their learning, wasn't there? They, They still weren't quite there yet. They still had some learning to do. 13,000 hours. One hour, once a week, is not enough to truly apprentice Jesus. It needs to be a lifelong endeavor. So that leads me to ask a question, church. A question that you need to answer for yourself. I can't answer it for you. I have to answer it for myself. Here we go. Do you truly want to apprentice Jesus? Or are you content with simply attending an event one hour once a week? You have to answer that for yourself. Do you want to apprentice Jesus or do you want to attend an event one hour once a week? Jesus says, if you are my disciple, it'll show. It'll show through how you treat others, how you love others. John uh, chapter 13, verse 35 says that by this they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. There's a lot of love here at WCC. There is. When people visit, oftentimes they tell us, this is a very loving community of people. And that's great, church. That's something to be proud of. But listen, to love in the way that Christ commands us to love, it can't just happen here one hour once a week. In fact, did you know that in Scripture, in the New Testament, there are 59 one another's commanded to us as the church. 
59 one another's of what it looks like to live life in circles. Some of them are mentioned multiple times. I want to read these off. And as I do, I want us to keep in mind that these are the commands Christ gives to us to do as the church, not just one hour a week. These are the commands to us as the church, and it's not just a suggestion. Here we go. Serve one another. Accept one another. Strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Confess to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be conceited with one another. Don't pass judgment with one another. Don't slander one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another on. Meet with one another. Agree with one another. Be concerned with one another. Be humble with one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Be compassionate with one another. Do not be consumed with one another. Do not be angry with one another. Do not lie to one another. Live in peace with one another. Do not grumble with one another. Give preference to one another. Be at peace with one another. Sing to one another. Comfort one another. Be kind to one another. Carry one another's burdens and love one another. Can you imagine trying to accomplish all of that one hour once a week? Does that seem feasible to you? To accomplish everything that Christ has commanded to us one hour once a week? Do you want to apprentice Jesus? Or are you content with just attending something one hour once a week? We're better together. We're meant to do life together. Coming together is only the beginning, but keeping together changes everything. Mother Teresa once said, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to one another. There's, the, there's a man by the name of Juan Ortiz. He is a pastor of a church in Central America. He told a story about something that happened not too long ago in his church. He was preparing to teach on the subject of loving one another. And if he's like most pastors, he spends hours in preparation. Hours studying the scripture, trying to make sure everything is in the correct context. Hours in prayer. And Sunday morning came, time for him to preach. The music had just finished. And he, was, he rose from out of his seat and began to walk towards the stage. But as soon as he rose, he felt this voice inside of him say, Juan, how many times have you preached this message? He said he thought to himself, I don't know, 11, 12 times? Then he heard the voice say, Juan, has it ever done any good? He said it felt like my heart skipped several beats. He began to walk on that stage. He came up to his podium, probably something close to this, set his Bible and notes down, and he gripped, 
He said, I gripped each side of the podium. I knew I had just had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. He said, I gripped the podium until my knuckles turned white. Then I looked up. He said, I looked up at our congregation, looking at the individual people, people he knows personally, people he's counseled, people who are struggling to show love. Not just show love to people outside of the church, to show love to people inside of the church. People who have grievances with one another, marriages that are struggling, families that are falling apart. And as he stood there for a few moments, he finally looked up and he said, love one another. Then he walked off stage and sat down. He said the congregation was pretty silent, probably trying to figure out what he was doing. After a few moments, he rose back out of his seat, walked up. This time he stood on the edge of the stage. He looked out and he just said, love one another. And walked back down. This time he heard some whispering amongst people, probably trying to figure out why he stopped. After a few more moments, sitting in silence, he got back up walked onto the stage one last time he said love one another but this time a man stood up from the congregation he said I think I know what our pastor is trying to say here but how can I truly love you if I don't even know you how can I truly love you if I only see you once a week Then another man stood up and said, I think I know what he's saying. But how can I love you all if I'm holding a grievance against Carlos? So he goes over to Carlos and he says, I have treated you wrong. Please forgive me. And those two were reconciled in that moment. And people began to pray together. People began to share with one another. People began to stand and form groups and pray with one another. They celebrated. There was a lady who went over to a widow in the church and said, I would like to buy you and your daughter groceries this week. There's another young man who needed a job. So someone come over who owned a business and said, I would like to hire you. People were forming relationships. They were celebrating. They were praying. And all that time, Juan said, I stood here and I thought, I just preached the most powerful message I've ever preached. And our church was never the same since because people got out of the rows and they started doing what Christ told them to do. Wilmington Church of Christ, do we want that kind of change? Or are we content with just attending something one hour once a week? better together one final quote Eugene Peterson says there can be no maturity in the spiritual life no obedience in following Jesus no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community I am not myself by myself church I am absolutely convinced that coming together is only the beginning but keeping together changes everything we hope you have enjoyed this message if you need someone to pray with you talk to 
or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time. Thank you.